You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, the running public. This is the Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. Look at these beauties. Look at them. Those look like old school Nike basketball shoes from afar. Kind of. From afar. What are we holding up there, Bracken? These are the Nike Alpha Fly Next. That is the most technology-filled shoe on the market, is it not? It is the most technologically advanced running shoe ever made and probably the most expensive. What's that thing cost retail, Bracken? Uh, brand new, if you can find them, it's $279. A cool $279. But these things arrived at my doorstep from a fantastic gentleman named Jason Silva, fan of the show, OCR athlete, knows knows the extent of my love of shoes. And he gave us the opportunity now to test out exactly what a super shoe is. You, uh, you look at those shoes like you look at Lisa Bracken as I'm watching you. With them. Is the lust obvious in my eyes as I'm staring at these things? <laughs> There's a little drool out the corner of your mouth. Oh, I got to put them down so I can focus on this episode. But before we talk about the episode, let's talk about what we're going to do with these things. Well, you talk about what you're going to do with them because I'm not fortunate enough to have a pair yet. But Jason, you may I may slide in your G- DMs, Jason. I don't know. Well, I think that when I'm done testing them out, I'm going to I'm going to ship them over your way and you can do the same. All right. So tell the people what you're doing. Uh, we're going to find out exactly the benefit of a super shoe. So I am taking these Nike Alpha Fly necks and I am uh, putting them through the paces quite literally. So I also have sitting over here off camera, I'll pull it up even though you guys won't see this. I have the Hoka Carbon X. This is Hoka's carbon fiber non-super shoe. It has normal foam and rubber, but it has a carbon plate to it. So this is like the middle of the road, high end. And then also we have our Skechers Razor 3. Which you love. Love it. And so we have our lightweight trainer slash racing flat. We have our lightweight trainer slash racing slash long distance shoe. And we have our lightweight racer slash ultra shoe. And all of them kind of embody that same premise. This is something people would wear for workouts, threshold runs, short, mid, and long races. It's the, it's the do-everything shoe. And so I'm running the same workouts in all three shoes and comparing heart rate, cadence, pace, perceived effort. And now we're, we're taking one workout. Let's say your workout is three by a mile. And you are running mile one in, let's say, the Skechers, mile two in the Hoka's, and mile three in the Alpha Flies, correct? Correct. So you're running, it's not like your fitness can get any better and add subjectivity to this. You are doing the same workout and changing shoes mid-workout. Yeah, so I started out with some mile-paced work, and then I did some 5K-paced work, and the mile-paced work shoe was, or workout was done in all three shoes. So that like exactly like you said, fatigue, fitness, it doesn't change throughout. I'm and I'm taking long recoveries between so that I can hit each interval with the exact same intentions. 
It's fun to be able to do that right now because if we were mid-season or the season was starting to pick up, you couldn't. And this yeah. is like a perfect use, uh, probably an exciting use of your time. I want you to tell people, so you've done a few workouts in them, mm -hmm. and I want you to humble brag a little bit because your fitness also was surprisingly good in one of these workouts. You did three by a mile, as I had mentioned, with full recovery. Tell the people what your findings of at least that one workout were. Okay, so we're going to do a full episode. Yes. But... I will give the preview that on the miles, I went 458, 459, 451. And what was the 451 in? The alphas. And perceived exertion wise, was it the easiest mile you had run, even though it was your third? It was a little bit easier than the second. Do you think there's placebo effect involved with any of this? Or do you yes. are you trying to be objective as possible? I'm, well, I'm trying to be super objective. And there for sure will be placebo effect because these alpha flies feel unlike anything else I have ever put my feet inside of. Mm. It is just unreal. So you put it on and you know something special is happening. But because of that, I'm using them last. There's no way I could use those on the first interval and then go back down to another shoe. It would feel so strange. So using them last, my hope is that my accumulated fatigue balances out the, the crazy feeling of putting those on. Plus, they're touted as a shoe that helps you maintain your cadence and your form as you fatigue. And so I want to use them at my most fatigued in each workout. So when this is all said and done in a month or two, what, what will you be able to tell the people of the running public? We'll be able to show exactly what percentage it makes me better. Should be about 4%, right? <laughs> Well, the original shoes were 4%. Then they had the next percent, and now they have Alpha Fly next. So who knows? And also what paces they are most effective at. Since I'll run everything from mile through marathon pace in them, it will be because I'm doing quarter mile-paced workouts, 5K-paced. I will do 10K, half marathon, and marathon work. Uh, those will be the only ones where I'm not switching shoes throughout. I'm, I'm going to take them out for a five-mile tempo on um, basically every third day for nine days. So my fitness shouldn't change over nine days, but that's, that's the most sterile I can make the threshold runs. I have to imagine that a threshold or a tempo run is where you're going to see the most benefit in that extended sustained type effort where it's going to just keep you below that line for a bit longer because of the forward propulsion. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really, really, really curious to see what happens when you start doing a tempo or a threshold run. Already, my expectation for what was going to happen has been kind of shattered. Hmm. So I tried to come in without too many preconceived notions, but it's been impossible since I've been talking about these for four years. I have some preconceived notions, but they do not feel how I thought they would feel, and they do not perform the way I thought they'd perform. So I'm very, very excited to wrap up the testing and then do an entire training Tuesday just on the true effect of a super shoe for one user, me. And then toss them over to you and then you can see how they affect you because we have different strides mm -hmm. and I don't want to go into the why and the what of how the stride affects it because that will be in the episode but I think you and I will see different results from it I am wondering if I will actually see more result from it based on my mechanics I think I think at certain paces you absolutely will yeah, we don't. We can leave it at that until yes. the experiment is over. But um, that shoe has such a like a mystique, doesn't it? If it you're does. really if you're really in the running culture and this shoe, you can actually have something. It's like you can buy a better bike and you can become a faster cyclist based on your technology. Uh, we've never seen that really in running until the last couple of years. So it's just like really interesting that that this is the ethics of the shoe, even in the whole nine. We don't need to get into it, but I'm 
I'm, I'm excited to see your results. Bracken. And I will speak to the ethics of it because I had pretty strong feelings about it and the feelings are changing slightly. There. Okay. Yeah. All right. Good. But the reason I'm able to do this is because I am healthy again and I can go out and run mile paced intervals or 5k paced intervals. And I haven't had any negative consequences of that. And that leads us into why we are having our specific topic today for training Tuesday, which is what Kirk, since it's your brainchild. It is returning from injury and training after you give yourself or given the green light, how to smartly and safely come back to fitness um, without falling into the same old habits and re-injuring yourself. And after this, the talk with Amelia Boone, after two dang knee surgeries and you just hit your first 30 mile week, Bracken, congratulations. Thank you. I just did my fifth run back this morning and it's top of mind for us. So it's time to talk it out. And God, I, I hope all of you, you know, never have to deal with this, but I'm guessing all of you have. So mm -hmm. it's relevant. It is. And it's something that I did kind of thoughtlessly most of my career because my injuries were rolled ankles and that was pretty much it. And then I hit this three-year stretch where I've had a string of mismanaged injuries and I have unfortunately become pretty adept at returning from injury. And this is the first one. This coming off these surgeries has been the first time that I have scripted out a fully fleshed out, well-rounded program using all the things I've learned over the last three years, combined with the things I would normally coach someone else to do. I'm finally following it myself. And I've had really, really good success now to the point where I can get out there and rip up 420 paced intervals and feel comfortable and sound doing it. You know, I ran six quarters under 65 the other day. And that's not something I could have done any of these last couple of years because of pain. And I ran three miles sub five uh, a couple of days ago without any pain or discomfort before or afterwards. And it's not about the pace. It's about what that pace means for me. Those are intense efforts and I'm handling them because I followed a protocol. And I know you have protocol that you have. And when we talk with Jess McConnell and Amelia, Mark Botras, everyone's become good at coming off of injury. And so now we want to proclaim what that process is. Yeah. And, and it's a tricky subject really to make clear because it's not black and white. And that's why understanding your body, erring on the side of caution and letting sort of history actually take those lessons or take our lessons and then apply them moving forward is super important. Um, you know, I would argue there's very different types of injuries. A rolled ankle is very different than a you know, that's an impact or a single time injury. Coming back from that, we're not really talking about that. We're talking about right. an overuse or a chronic injury, which leads to usually a longer delayed recovery and then a longer delayed comeback um, is what we're honing in on today. Because otherwise a rolled ankle or something like that, that's uh, that's more acute. And, and those you just usually take your few days and get back into it. But it's not the run motion that caused your injury. It's a trauma. And that's very different. Mm -hmm. um, and, and something you just talked about real quick, and I want to start this with this, is that you just laid out some really impressive times, Bracken, considering what you've been through, seven months off of running. And I know you're not humble bragging. I know you're, you're saying those times for perspective on your body and how it handles those efforts. But it's just such a testament like you haven't even rushed the process. Mm -hmm. You've been so dang patient. And we talk about putting money in the bank over time. And all of you listening are starting to fill your bank accounts and Bracken, you've done it for years. And look at where you are already without rushing the process. Like the first and foremost is like, slow down, there's no rush. Could you not agree more? 
I would. And I was, I was chatting with someone on Instagram yesterday, actually, and they had COVID and got rocked by it cardiovascularly and respiratory system wise. And they're coming back out of it. And they're just asking, you know, you've come off stuff. Uh, you, you, you're what back to running eight weeks now, and, or you're, you're, you're eight weeks post-surgery and you're already breaking five. And I said, no, I'm actually at 21 weeks post-surgery. And they said, wow, I can't believe that. And I said, yeah, I'm actually eight weeks of running. 21 weeks post-surgery. I was supposed to be back to sports-specific activity within four to six weeks, but that's not the timeline that my body showed me on surgery one. So I threw it out the window surgery two. And like you said, I slow played the heck out of this thing. 21 weeks I waited before I ran hard. And yet I'm, I'm not that far out of shape. Now, the longer I go, my quarter miles are more impressive than my miles. And my miles are going to be far more impressive than when I do this five-mile tempo. My endurance specific to running is definitely lacking, but that'll come around. Exactly. And I know you have the luxury of time right now. Mm -hmm. I have the luxury of time, which we are very lucky for. If there's any silver lining to no racing for us and a few others in our boat, it's allowed us to heal and be slow in our, our, our comebacks. But um, I think if you're, I think we should start the conversation with the note. There is no rush, but I think, okay, so you have your chronic injury. It's an overuse injury that's caused you to take some significant time off. I think most of these are two plus weeks off, uh, most likely even more if you're dealing with true like a tendonitis issue or a, a bone issue, like a fracture, you're talking six to eight weeks minimum, post-surgery, anything like that, random freak accidents, I guess that could keep you out longer. So where does the thought process start then Bracken? Cause you really had a long time to think about this. <laughs> like seven months is a long time to think about how you're going to come back to running. So where does that thought process start? Like, how do you hash that out in your mind? I almost want to start at the place I've come to now before I go back to the beginning, because I did it wrong my first surgery. Okay. I had a timetable that I put into play based your, on things your 52 week training plan. Well, kind of, but that started whenever I could get back to running. Okay. So that was just a rebuild process. That was a two 20 week blocks with down weeks in between and it added up to that. But th th my point was I had a... I had a timeline in mind that when I could be back to good, rather than once I'm back to good, what do I start doing? Hmm. And so I was less intentional about immediacy rather than the long term. And I think the, the point that you started to make was that we have the luxury of time. And I would like to say we all have the luxury of time because the 99.9% .9 of us are not making our racing through are living through racing. And so we all have the luxury of time. Mm -hmm. It may drive us crazy not getting out and running and pounding miles but we have the luxury of not being forced to race. So that's where we start. We have to start with, I will not put a timeline in place until my body's ready. And then I looked at where I need to be stable touching the ground before I can run. So the only thing that is creating your timeline is literally the day-to-day -day listening and responding yes. and moving your body in accordance to how it's feeling and not setting an end date or even putting a race on the schedule allowing yourself the freedom to slow play smartly. Yes. Now, the second time I knew what was coming, and so I, I planned for this very specifically, I tested out everything. I did back squat, deadlift, single leg squats, single leg hamstring curl, uh, weighted calf raise, body weight calf raise till exhaustion. I tested out all the pieces of my platform, so to speak, that needed to be up to par before I would start loading it with impact of running. Because the first time I let my injury pain, my surgery pain dictate when I started running. 
and I really worked on mobility and range of motion. And as soon as I had it, I started running, but I hadn't hit the ground in so long and I'd atrophied so much that I started having immediate problems of imbalances and um, starting to compensate one area or another. And so in round two, I made sure I will take as much time as I need until I have no compensation issues and everything is balanced. And so I had to hit my pre-testing, my pre-surgery testing marks before I could impact the ground. Because if you just fed those imbalances and allowed yourself to run right away again on a body that wasn't necessarily stable, you could end up back where you started. Three more years of a holding pattern. So to, to just like simplify that, you made sure that both sides of your body were firing and working appropriately. The strength had regained, and then you allowed yourself to run. Yes. So for example, when I started running again, and I started getting these weird bad pains, and I noticed my other meniscus was, was fraying badly, I stopped running and I tested everything out. And my right calf had something like 39 full uh, calf raises till exhaustion, and my left had 14. Oh, wow. So that's a serious imbalance there. And of course, then one leg's not going to be able to pull its weight during running. So I worked both of them until I got them up to a pretty stable level pre-surgery until they were both at like 42 or whatever it was within a rep or two of each other. And then after surgery, I didn't run a step until both could hit 42. And, and so it became really black and white at that point. It wasn't, I'm going off emotion and whim. It was, I don't get to go until I hit the numbers that I've seen before. And that's smart. And something you've asked me and you asked Amelia in our last episode was, all right, great, you're back. What is your plan to prevent mm -hmm. this from happening again? Because the trap we fall into, and I've been guilty of it, you've been guilty of it in the past, is you're injured and you rest and then you are allowed to run again and you go right back into the habits that got you there in the first place, not correcting the imbalances or the biomechanical flaws or working on what you need to work on to stay healthy. And then you end up back again. I mean, I've found that cycle for my, my left lower extremity how many times through yeah. since high school. So step one is find out why, figure out why, and don't just cross your fingers and go back into running like you did before you got injured because you're going to end up there again. So find your biomechanical flaws and fix them. Yes. Now, how does one do that? Well, I like to start with at the end of races or long runs or workouts, where am I having fatigue and burning and, and, and bad feelings pop up? And so for me, it was always lower back, hips, upper hamstring where it connects to my glutes, specifically on my right side, and then soleus pain on my left side. So our weaknesses tend to flare up when they are fatigued. When we're at a comp compromised place, that's where they flare up. So that's what I did first. I wrote down all the places I get sore after races and where I fatigue it in a non-uniform manner throughout a long workout or race. Okay, good. And then what did you do with that sort of once you've decided on those things? What did you do with that? Then I, I confirmed it by testing in the weight room because that's a that's a very in a vacuum place to test single leg squats. Uh weighted lunges, hamstring curl, single leg really puts a number to the imbalance. And then, then from there, it's easy. Then you have the areas, then you just match them up to exercises that work that particular area. Okay. But it's what I never did in the past. 
I'd get healthy and I'd jump right back into where I left off in my training cycle or at the start of a training cycle. I think, you know, I, I called you out on something and that was your, your lack of grip work in general during <laughs> racing season, but you're an athlete and you can get through things. Okay. And that's been helpful. Um, for you, I also would say that you avoided strength work for years mm -hmm. in a consistent manner. And you knew that was something and core and core and between being a dad and still trying to race and, and work and everything, you just didn't make the time. And that's something that's probably caught up with you. hundred percent. You're going back and rewriting the script. And I think that's very important for people to know, like, yeah, there's some bad luck that got you into the position you're into, but there also might have been some things that you've now learned from. And and one of those is fixing imbalances. And we all have them in some capacity, but but uh, you're, you're actually just grabbing the situation by the balls and taking ownership over your health moving forward. And I think that's what everybody needs to do when they return back to run, running. Yeah. Yeah. Bad luck started the ball rolling and bad decisions kept it rolling. I had one bad piece of luck and all the rest was was self-made. Mm -hmm. So the only way that changes is if we stop. And and you you said, wow, I can't believe you really hit a hard hill workout in one of your or a hard hill rep in one of your first workouts back. And I had some people message me on Instagram and say, hey, I'm concerned you're going a little too hard. I saw you spent 90 minutes on feet and you hit a downhill segment PR. And my response to that is, yeah, I am a hole for the first time ever. My fitness isn't great. My resistance to impact wasn't great, but because of all the strengthening work that I've focused on, I can hit the ground more soundly now than I could at my best fitness when I was living in Colorado because I don't have the imbalances that I had. Mm -hmm. And can you feel that now when you're out on feet? Yeah. You, you can feel the, I don't know, evenness, the fluidity, the, the efficiency, we'll call it. Yeah. And it's not even perfect yet. At the end of those miles, my upper right hamstring still fatigued before my left, but things are better. And the downhills are what expose it. I can run downhill without pain in a way that I couldn't even when I was fit. You, I, it's just, I feel like my midsection, hips, glutes area there, just is, is solid rather than sagging side to side as I impact. Mm. And what about the range of motion? Um sort of situation. I, I believe you've been doing some of the Taylor Cruz stuff. Yeah. Okay. How does that factor in into a recovery back return to running? Do you have any consensus on that yet? It's one of those things that I can't just say it's magical because it's not a, a switch that I flipped. It just kind of seeps into your daily being. So I don't have downsides from it and everything overall is working better than it used to. And that has been a part of my routine since I've started back up. So it has to be contributing, but because it's a, it's a long process, there isn't any aha moments. I just land running down a hill and don't hurt. And so mm -hmm. I, I attribute part of that success to, to doing those type of mobility exercises. So if you had to put into perspective, um, for the people listening, Last week was your highest volume week of 30, roughly 30 miles. Mm -hmm. How much, how much time on feet was that roughly? I know you had vert in there and stuff too. Four, four and a half hours on feet. Okay. And how much time was spent doing strength or mobility work? Four hours. So you spent the same amount of time doing non-run specific things so you can run healthy. Yeah. That's good for people to hear. It is. 
And I think it, I, I don't know how much more you want to go into about your personal journey, but that would lead me to, to my next stage, which is move forward with volume despite my running. Mm -hmm. Because I'm doing outside volume work that's not running. Just like Amelia is doing double her run volume on the elliptico, I'm on the spin bike and I'm hiking and running at 20% with no impact that doesn't get counted into running volume. Mm. So that's the thing. So fix your imbalances, figure them out. I highly suggest most of us are biomechanically flawed. So either video recording yourself, finding tutorials on. Oh, yeah. I'm glad you said that. I went out and bought six monster mirrors and they're in my basement. To watch your form because you love yourself. Now I have I have views from every angle. I can look sideways, I can look forward, and then I can also look forward and see myself in the mirror behind me. That is just, <laughs> that's great. Super narcissistic. It is narcissistic. Anything above you so you can see that head of yours? Not in the basement. Not in the, <laughs> we'll, leave that. we'll leave that one alone. So, um, so then it, it brings us into, you're starting to run now. You're working on your biomechanical flaws, your inefficiencies. Um, you either sought help to fix the problem, which I'm in the process of doing. You obviously have been working on. And now you're running again. And it's great. I took five months off. You took seven months off. That first run is so liberating. And you just want to run. And and I kind of did. But um, you're not running nearly as much as you used to. And obviously, you shouldn't. So what should that progression look like then back into run volume? Well, I believe volume has to ramp up relatively quickly, but it has to come primarily through cross training. I agree. We want to get right back to working on our engine, but I think we need to, I, I firmly believe we have to ease into actual impact. And so for me, you know what I did, I got on the treadmill and I walked for a while, but then once I was able to start using a running motion, I tested out inclines until I found one that didn't hurt. And for me, that was 17 and a half percent incline. If mm -hmm. I went above that, I had to pull too much like a hiking motion and it actually hurt the surgery area a little bit. And if mm -hmm. I went below that, I started just having too much impact. So I did my run volume um, in aerobic interval style at 17 and a half percent incline for a week. So three times per week, uh, started off with five minute intervals, moved up to eight, 12, just hitting my accumulated time for the day. And all aerobically, when I'm talking intervals, I go mm -hmm. aerobically slow and then hop off and shake out and do some mobility and get back on and make sure I'm doing it right. And then I move down to 16% and then 14 and a half and then 13. And then what would that be next? 11 and a half. And then once I got down to six, I knew I was ready for flat ground running. See, and that's not talked about very often is the return to running and impact but choosing to less it, lessen the percentage of impact by using incline to your advantage. Mm -hmm. um, my last three runs now have been at 15 plus percent. And I will tell you on a foot that is recovering, that is so beneficial. I don't, I wish there was, there's probably some sort of like impact percentage table out there for probably. different inclines. I'd be very curious to see it. Maybe we'll dig one up, but, um, that's one of the tools that you should absolutely be using when you're returning from anything, whether it's shin splints or it's a stress fracture or it's a soft tissue issue, unless it's really impacting like your calf or Achilles. Um, you gotta start infusing incline work because it's gonna allow you to maybe run a little bit more volume with much less risk. And you were on the incline for, I don't know how many weeks before you went to flat running. Yeah. And it's not really talked about. I don't know why that's like not a known common 
Like you just don't see that much. And yeah. I feel like it's really like people go back and they, they run on the pavement. They just recovered from a tibial stress fracture and then they're out there on the cement, their first run back. Of course, that's going to flare things up. Yeah. And you'll see people do minute on minute off on concrete. I think, well, why wouldn't you just start it at 10% or at least go on grass? You know, I, we talk about the Ingebrigtsens. I like to, because I like how systematic they are to their approach, but um, Philip was on the incline trainer power or hiking at 10% as fast as he could walk because he was deloading his, his, his system. Was he healthy, healthy doing that? Just a deload session? Yeah, it was, it was getting extra volume in without taking any pounding. And then you look at the, all the pro groups, they have alter G treadmills where you literally reduce the percentage of, of impact that you're taking. And I don't have access to a 20, 30, $40,000 treadmill, but I have a Nordic track. And so that's my version of the Alter-G. I raise the incline rather than reduce the amount of, of poundage that touches the ground through my feet. Mm -hmm. One thing I want to touch on is, is this, and this is what I'm experimenting with. And I just want to uh, not argue, but discuss the flip side of the coin where you'd say you jump right back into volume, but most of it is through cross training. So even though you've got the green light to run and it's exciting and now cross training seems lame because you mm -hmm. finally can run again, still got to do it. Um, but on the other side of the coin, I'm actually choosing to do the opposite right now. And I always go, and I've never done this in my life. You know, I'm like a cross training King here. I just, you know, I hit it hard, but Jess O'Connell way back in that episode said something very good. And she said, the, the priority number one is getting healthy. And if yeah. that means you can't cross train to get healthier, that means you can't, you know, be stress your injury, then you need to just reevaluate that. And so what I've noticed for myself and other people have noticed this, I'm sure too, is I realized that I halted my recovery or slowed it down because I was on the assault bike so much. And that pressure on my forefoot with a stress fracture was slowing my healing. And I said, I don't want to cloud the waters right now. I want to understand what my body is saying and responding to run volume only. I don't want to murk them up. So I went from doing cardio four or five, six days a week, and I'm down to two right now. And it's only running so I can understand cause and effect. I don't want to have to wonder why my foot is sore or not sore. So um, there is the flip side of the coin. And that is don't let the waters be murky if you're not quite sure where you're at. Yes, I'm not nearly doing as much cardio as I would like to. But at the same time, I know my cause and effect directly without any subjectivity. And so that is something if you're really tentative about coming back, which I am, I'm apprehensive. I think that is something you need to consider potentially. You don't fall into that boat, it doesn't sound like, but I do. I do, but but we were coming off of different injuries. Right. When I was coming off of my Achilles way back, I don't know, two and a half years ago, I should have done that, but I kept stressing it in other ways to keep fitness up. But this is coming off of surgery, where my big limiter early on was actual surgery damage inside my body and the healing that needed to happen right. there. And so if you recall, I was doing up to four or five hours a week of arm only assault bike work Ugh. with my legs stationary, you know, up on the, the, the pegs at the front of it, solely arm work. And so I, I went through your same stage where I refused to use that part of my body because I just couldn't push the envelope. And then once it was ready to be stood upon, then I put my feet on the ground. I lowered the seat so that my feet could just rest on the ground and I did arm only and let my knees just kind of move a half inch either way as I rocked. And then after that, I stood up, I stood behind the seat. I put the seat all the way down, stood behind it and rocked, torquing my legs into each push of the arm. So I really incrementally, even back then with that, incrementally moved back in. And like you, I avoided 
my feet touching the ground for a while. Mm -hmm. I think what I've, what I've realized through this for me is I've come back from a lot of injuries in my day, more than you, unfortunately, yes. mostly bone related. And my bone density is great, by the way, it's, it's been checked a number of times. It's clearly a biomechanical issue. Um, is that there's been so much subjectivity to the return to running. It's just like, oh, I'm going to run again and go by feel and then run two days a week and then run three days a week. And then oh, I feel good. I'm going to go eight miles today suddenly. And then all of a sudden I'm like, dang it, it's sore again. And I think breaking it down. So there's like less question marks floating in the air and more like understanding of how your body's responding to your return is super important. You've been so methodical, Bracken. I mean, you had a lot of time to think about it. And now I am as well. And I just think it's important than just like winging it. I think you need to set parameters for yourself. Um, and and I just I just want people to, I don't know, because that return to running is so glorious when you finally get to do it for the first time and it's addicting and it's it's tempting and, and it's a carrot dangling in front of you and it can become spiraling pretty quick. And so I just think holding yourself to a standard and parameters is super important. It is. Whatever they are that you have to create for yourself. I don't know what they look like for you, a uh, listener, but something has to be in place. And then we all get to this point where we realize I'm kind of back. Yep. So we got to talk about that. That's kind of the dangerous point right there mm -hmm. where I've, I've hit that. This past week, I realized I'm back. I ran four times, hit 30 miles and could have run yesterday. And I made myself not because it wasn't on the schedule, but I felt like I'm back. I can do things now. And yet you're not. You're back to, to functioning, but you're not back to full functioning, even though you're back to full excitement. You can't let the stoke birds chirp you right into something <laughs> you're going to do. And so there's, you have to have your rehab plan and then your return to running plan. And then you have to have something waiting there which returns to training. We've gone from running and now we're ready to start training with purpose towards speed and endurance and racing. But that can't be, that can't just go off the cuff. That has to be scripted back in as well. So with what you're saying, out of my own personal curiosity then, have you not been training with purpose? It's more getting back to homeostasis and now you can start layering in more periodization? Yeah, I feel like I've been training to prepare for training. That's exactly how I feel right now. That makes sense, yeah. Makes perfect sense. I did 60-60 intervals today at 15%, 10 rounds, which is nothing. It's 10 minutes of yeah. running with 10 minutes of walking in between. Um, but all it is is just to set me up so I can actually have productive workouts when I choose to jump back into them. And this time, and I think we should talk about that at, at this time phase of things is we talk about exercise versus training and yada, yada, and having to have a plan and working backwards from your first goal race and all of that. But I would say if there's any time to throw all that out the window, it is returning to running. It, it's it's more like just getting getting greasing the groove as we call it with running and and it's okay to say you know what today I haven't done any speed and I'm gonna go just do a little bit of faster work that I haven't done and then today I'm gonna do a little incline work and I'm just gonna start to stoke all of those little fires just a little bit and prep for purposeful work but it doesn't need to start day one with like here's my training plan to West Virginia next year like right. that shouldn't even be part of the thought process. No. And, and in fact, you have to you have to have that goal in your head and you can't plan for doing it yet. You still have to have your next goal. So mine was initially I had to hit X number of reps on all of my single leg exercises and they had to match up. They had to be within 10 percent of each other before I could move forward in any capacity. And then it was I had to be able to do X number of X number of minutes on feet up and downhill intervals without any sort 
of regression before I could move on to flat ground repeats. Mm -hmm. And now I've kind of proven I can do flat ground interval work, but that doesn't mean I start up my interval progression. Now I have to prove it with sustained runs. I have to be able to do threshold runs where I over and over and over impact the ground rather than getting breaks every mm -hmm. 60 to 180 seconds. And, and all those have to be proven out. It's almost like an entire training cycle of baby workouts before I can graduate up to the big boy, the, the deep end of the pool. It's exactly what it is. Yeah. Take the, take the water wings off and, and go. Yeah. I am. Um, yeah. So it's hard to set parameters for people coming back from injury. You know, you can increase your volume by 10% a week, or you can do X or Y or Z. And there's all these rules that people follow. I don't like any of them. No, I don't like any of them for this time period. This is the one time where you should look no further than right in front of your face, real time data, real time feedback, real time figuring out what and when is the next move that you're going to make based on how things are going. And so we like to project in the future and you should when it comes to performance, but when it comes to staying and getting healthy again, you should be analyzing every, after every single time you are on feet. And so, so this is the one time where I, I, I don't want, if you're healthy and increasing volume, that's a different thing. Then you can set parameters, like increase 10% a week and then deload or whatever, but not when you're coming back from injury. I don't think those rules apply at all. Because as humans, if we have an end goal in mind, we will carefully construct and tweak and massage the details in order to get there. We're mm -hmm. like, all right, I hit 30 miles last week. I get to hit 35 this week. I'm going to hit 35 at the expense of something if need be. I might say, oh, I feel a little weak today. I'm only going to do 30 minutes of running. So tomorrow I'll tack on and do 75. That's that's not rehab. That is mileage chasing. And we can't get into that yet. Mm. I, I don't think setting any weekly goals or parameters or needing to see your nice little graph on Strava gradually increase satisfyingly mm -hmm. is, is relevant right now. It's probably more detrimental. So real-time data, real-time decisions, uh, smart ones along the way, for sure. Not Not trying to say I'm going to run three miles this week and nine miles next week and 15 miles the next week. That That's out the window in this phase. Do you know what I did this morning for my for my easy run prior to my lift? No, I do not. I broke it up into three by 10 minutes at 10% incline. Interesting. Okay. And why did you break it up? Because I just had my biggest week I'd ever had since surgery. <laughs> when I say ever had, I mean, realistically, I had my biggest mileage that I have hit since 2019. And I feel good but I felt good before, before a fall. And so no one workout to me is worth all the other workouts. And so because my schedule said 40 minute trail run this morning and then a lower body lift did not mean I stuck to that. I in the back of my head, I have more fatigue than I have had in my legs in a long, long time. So I'm gonna go back to what I know can't injure me, which is running at 10%. And because my glutes and my calves were a little tired, I gave them a rest every 10 minutes. How long did you rest? Uh, 20, I, I think I rested 40 seconds on the first one and 20 seconds after the second one. Just hopped off and just to take tension off the muscles and then and get shook back it out a little bit, did a little systems check and then hopped back on and kept jogging. But I knew that that's not really going to impact my, my fitness moving forward, but it will guarantee that if I keep doing these type of protocol that I do not ever have a regression. That's so important for people to hear. Like you're listening to a knock on wood, healthy guy now who is has the foresight and hindsight to know that I'm going to just chill today mm -hmm. because it's the smart thing to do looking at your week leading up to that. And 
I don't know if a lot of people do that, Bracken. Well, you know what? I, I got to give Amelia credit for this because she was so good about driving home the point that I she, that she did not beat anorexia. She did not beat an eating disorder. It is part of her for the rest of her life. Mm-hmm. And I realized, yeah, we as as athletes, I guess we don't beat bad injury recoveries. We don't beat the injury bug. We don't beat rushing injuries. We just live with it and we have to then be vigilant every day to prevent a regression. We don't want to relapse. It's not like I did this rehab perfectly to this point and now I'm good to go. It's no, I have to every day make sure that there isn't a relapse looming. So again, thank you to Amelia for reminding us that the things that apply to the big problems in life also apply just as specifically to the smaller problems that we deal with. Yeah. Are you ever really fully healed or recovered? Or are you always just kind of keeping it in submission? Right. And that's, and you're trying to keep it in submission. If that's been your tendency in the past, it's likely to try to rear its head again in the future. And not claiming that you are fixed is probably the best thing for your long-term health. So well, um, realistically, I have less than half of my meniscus in both of my knees. That's true. So is really, is going on a inclined trainer twice per week instead of running trails, is that maybe actually just the best protocol to avoid some impact because I have less impact cushioning in my knees? You know, maybe that's just best practice anyways. Yeah. When we talk about returning to running then as well, now you're looking at all sorts of stuff. Do I, Should I go for nice steady runs? Should I be able to, is it risky to implement interval, interval work right away? Do I need to exclusively do incline work? Like what is safe and what is best and how do you determine like what is this going to be risky to do is is if i go out for a three mile run and i decide to hammer is that more risky than running three miles easy is because you know my tendency is when you kept from running for a while you want to go out and just feel that burn get that heart rate up get the sweat going again we're not training we're just getting our training wheels under us again so we want to check the systems and it's fun to do that What's allowable? What's safe? What's detrimental? Do you have steadfast rules on that? I don't. I don't because this is where people start to diverge. This is where someone like me is allowed to go out and do short, fast intervals because that is my structure physically. I am. I am. I was made to handle short, fast bursts of of movement, and I struggle with long, sustained duration type activities. And so, a really good way of me building fitness up is to do the paces I want to be able to hit next May at durations that I can currently handle now while building up my time on feet slowly over time. Whereas someone else who is built differently from me might have to start with building up their long, slow running and then start sprinkling in speed. Whereas you and I would sprinkle it in on the assault bike or the spin bike or incline trainer, they would have to start with that and then start sprinkling it in flat and fast over time. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's hard to say on that one. I will say, I know, you know, we've already pretty much touched on it, but I believe your safest bet. Typically, almost all repetitive overuse injuries are due to impact-based problems. So whether it's due to a biomechanical flaw or muscular imbalance or bone density issues or whatever it is. So gravitating towards incline work, I think, is your safest bet, no matter what. I think if you're tentative about how to start or where to start, the treadmill is a great option right now. And, and, you know, it gets bagged on, but in this case, I think that is your, unless you have a lower leg soft tissue issue, like a calf or an Achilles, I think that's where you start. If you're tentative, I just think erring on that side of caution, 
on the treadmill is a smart, safe, conservative, yet very beneficial bet. I agree. And that's one of the things I've really valued about doing my treadmill reduction work, where I started at 17.5% and I reduced it down to 6%, is that it's very easy to run perfect clean form when you're not getting high off the ground and impacting the ground. So I could run with high cadence. I could run with the arm carriage that I really liked. I could I could keep my my knees from bowing out because I'm naturally bow-legged and pigeon-toed. I could work on those things and stare at myself in the mirror and do that. And then as I lowered down, you get a little bit more vertical oscillation into it and a little bit more impact, but it's in a, such a sterile environment that I get to keep working on that. So that by the time I got outside and running downhill or running those that three by mile this past week, I had a pretty good ingrained cadence and foot strike already. And I had all the cues I'd been staring at in the mirror that I could apply to my running. And so I came back with probably better form than I left with. And I came back with better cadence than I left with because I got to just ease into that. And I think that's very important to do because when you've spent time not doing something, it's the easiest time to pick up a bad habit. Yeah. Yeah. Or let go of those old bad habits. Hopefully. Yeah, that's true. And uh -huh. I think the other piece that's important is something we always talk about is that you keep your well-rounded training plan, whether you're on feet or off feet, because the worst thing you could do is say, all right, my body is ready to start training, but I cannot impact the ground too often. So I'm running twice per week and you work out twice per week. And then you add a third day and then you add a fourth day. And now you add speed work and everything is just this new stimulus and stress and impact rather than I'm running twice per week and I'm biking five times per week. And eventually I just switch a run or a bike over to a run. So I'm not adding more work. I'm not adding more stress. I'm just adding impact. And that's that I think is the key for a sustainable build is that you don't let go of other pieces. You just replace them with a healthy alternative until you can move them back into impact. Unless you're following my plan. Unless you, well, and, and I guess I'm assuming once we've already become healthy, right. once we're ready to start moving and training again, I like to hit the volume and the intensities and just save the impact. Now, let's say you're finally up to three days of running per week and let's just say three days of five miles and you're feeling really good about that. Do you have a philosophy on, all right, it's time to add a fourth day or is it time to stay at three days and just increase the duration of those three days? What is the rule you have there? I waffle back and forth on this. I, I believe for injury prevention, spreading your runs out more is in more sessions is supposed to be better. It's what I hear. I don't have it. I only have anecdotal evidence to that. How do you feel about that? Staying like, okay, I've worked with three days and I'm happy. So I'm just going to stay at three days and increase the volume on those three days or increase number of days, but keep the volume on those other days the same. I think that's another one of those. It goes person by person, because I would have always said that I'd rather add another day and keep it short do 15 minutes of running and then hop on the bike. And now that's my fourth day. But this build, I've done the opposite. Mm. I spent a while running two to three times per week and lengthening those days because I found I needed recovery either way. I seemed to get more bang for my buck by going longer. And I had some weird looking training from a Strava perspective where I'd run 40 minutes on Wednesday, two hours on Saturday, and you wouldn't see anything in between. Mm -hmm. But I was also doing... 40 to 70 minutes of incline trainer or or bike in between but i found that whether i ran 20 minutes or 40 i had some inflammation afterwards but it wasn't drastically different so i built up a long run when i was only running twice per week which on paper is probably not something i'd even recommend to people but because i was going solely off biofeedback my body said yeah you can do a two-hour long run as long as it's at a really easy pace but you're going to have to not run for the next two days 
and stay on the bike. But if I ran 60 minute long run, I still wasn't going to be comfortable for 48 hours. So it was a, it was a strange progression. It's not one that I intended. It's just what my body told me I should do. Yeah. And that just goes back to not looking much further than what's in front of your face and real time analyzing how your body's reacting. Um, another thing that I want to touch on then, and this I will be doing is, you know, getting volume or non-run volume. Um, it's a really good time to do like OCR compromised work to get in volume without extra time on feet. So when I came back from my last injury and I got myself into really good fitness pretty quick, and that was after two months off, I would do simple workouts like, all right, two minutes of incline work into 20 burpees, rinse and repeat, all at just sustainable efforts, so to, so to speak. And I was spending as much time doing burpees as running. I was only comfortable running 20 minutes at the time, but I got 40 minutes of work in and my heart rate stayed up that entire time by just breaking it up. And so I think that's another strategy that people can use, of course, if the compromise work isn't impacting or negatively affecting your injury recovery, uh, is to implement some sort of very simple format compromised work. It doesn't even need to be intense necessarily, but just to extend the duration of that heart rate being up. I like to do wall balls and then run an incline or do lightweight high rep thrusters and go back and run an incline, burpees, jump squats, push-ups, pull-ups, anything. And your body, once it really gets into that biomechanical state and it starts to recognize running again and you start to fire efficiently again, I would argue that 40 minutes of compromised steady work is just as effective as 40 minutes of just steady work on enhancing your fitness and run efficiency. So looking at things that way too, I think is really smart at this time. For sure. And our bodies get starved for stimulus and they respond to anything and everything early on. Yes, they do. In a month or two, you and I are going to be starting to, to have to be more, more scripted and intentional to keep progressing. But for mm -hmm. right now, I could go out and test shoes every third day for three or four weeks, which is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to get faster off that. And it's going to mm -hmm. allow me to do small dose speed. And that's not a training plan, but it's a getting back used to work plan. And so I don't have to have a perfect training plan. I have to have a perfect recovery plan. Yeah. Something I mentioned, I think it was with Amelia, the chat with Amelia, um, was that really we we want to do the least amount of work to still get adaptation and to still get increased fitness. And this is a really good time to like see really nice fitness gains pretty quickly off of little work and then not trapping yourself early into like, I need to do more work to get more fit. Like you don't, if you want to go run quarter mile repeats, you don't need to go out and do 16. You can do four and be shocked at how much benefit you get off of lower volume and not trapping yourself. Cause once we do uh, not, like too much work too early, then our new standard seems to feel set. And then we feel like we have to do more and more and more like slow it down. Don't rush it. I did 10 rounds of 60, 60 at, at a height. I would do 20 or sometimes 30 mm -hmm. like, and I bet you I'm going to still get 90% of the benefit from 10 rounds that I would have doing 30 rounds. And so it's, it's just slow play. It just slow play. It. Your body wants to respond especially if you haven't been doing much for running, it's going to respond to little stimulus. So don't feel like you need to rush. You do not need to rush. hundred percent. You just don't need to. And because you're following the protocol of doing every single stride and rep, right? You get a little bit more out of the workout. Like I said, last week I did six 400 meter intervals and those three by mile felt so good because of it. Mm -hmm. It just translated so well. I felt so clean and smooth running and 
and six by 400 wouldn't set you up for three by mile. But because I was doing great form and biomechanical practice, it did set me up for it. Mm-hmm. Cops after you over there, Bracken? Sirens are, are rolling this morning. What else do we want to dive into as far as returning from injury in a healthy manner? I know we, we're kind of talking like philosophy a little bit mm-hmm. and, and throwing little dabbles of things at, at the listener, but that's kind of the point. There's no rules. I don't, I don't have a lot more I want to discuss today other than a lot of times I hear the one single question, which is how do I know I'm ready to start running again? Mm-hmm. If it is an ankle or a knee or an Achilles, when can I start? And there's not a blanket statement, but I like to say that you can run or you can jog when you can walk without pain. And you can run when you can jog without pain. And you can run intervals when you can run without pain. At each level, if you can do the one before it pain-free all day long, now you're probably ready to test the waters on the next one. But if jogging brings a little bit of pain in, you don't test out a threshold run. You you revert to power hiking until jogging's pain-free. And then you jog pain-free until you can try some threshold intervals. And then when threshold intervals don't hurt, yeah, now you can try a, a 40 or 20-minute tempo before extending to 30 or 40. But when the one when when the activity preceding it no longer is discomfort or painful, then you can move to the next one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and another thing to to I guess address would be. When you do come back, well, well, one rule actually we should touch on quick is, and I believe you've mentioned this, is if you have like an acute thing that just pops up, it's a soft tissue issue or something, and you take a few days off and then you're like, ah, I can, I can run today. I'm, I'm 95% sure I can run today and it's feeling better. Wait one more day, right? <laughs> Wait one more day because the pay now, pay later philosophy definitely comes into play. And when it comes to longer recoveries, like bone or really overused stuff, um, that, that day turns into a week. So you finally hit your week. It's been eight weeks off and you're like, I'm pretty sure I can run this week. That's when you still take that one extra cushion week off before you start. I took a month at this point. I took four months off and I said, I don't know. I think I'm going to just take another month. We'll see if it pays off. But that one day, if it's an acute, quick soft tissue injury, or they one week extra when it's something more long-term, I think is, is a good rule to live by if there are any. Yeah. And then the other thing I want to touch on when you come back from injury is a lot of times there is still going to be some inflammation around the site. If it's a bone injury, the soft tissue and the sheath and the periosteums and all the stuff that lines the bones are going to be inflamed still. There are going to be scar tissue. There's going to be other things in place. And so it doesn't always mean you're going to be completely pain-free off the get-go. It's riding that line. It can be very cloudy and very confusing. And there's residual ghost pains and after both stress fractures in my foot, I woke up and limped out of bed every day for six months after I started running, yet I was healed because the soft tissue was just not back yet. And it's the same thing I'm dealing with now. I'm kind of limping out of bed in the morning, but once I wake up and warm up and get into my run, I'm pain-free. It's very confusing, but I've noticed it time and time again. So there's also nuances in there that you need to learn and understand your body. But a lot of times there is residual, like, I, I don't want to call it ghost pain, but like, y- there's going to be some of that. So find that line and walk it. I don't know how else to say it. I'm sure you dealt with that with your knee a little bit. I'm glad, glad you brought that back. up. I, I didn't have it at first because mm-hmm. I was so dainty with everything. But I got into this pattern last month where for the first 40 minutes of my long runs, I'd have this reoccurring discomfort in there. But it wasn't disconcerting. It was a discomfort that, you know, it comes on and leaves so strangely that it can't, it's either something awful or it's nothing. 
Correct. Like sometimes you get that in your foot or your knee or your hip. It'll su- suddenly have shooting, stabbing pain out of nowhere. And you think, well, it's either nothing or it's it's like broken all the way through because it's so random and sudden. It, mm-hmm. it couldn't be anything else. And so I knew it was nothing, but it would go on and off for 40 minutes. And almost on the dot at 40 minutes, I'd stop noticing it. And we did a four-hour uh, ski hill day the, the, in the first 40 minutes. I thought, maybe today's just not the right day. And then, and then four hours later, I realized I hadn't noticed it for three hours and 20 minutes. And it was, you're right. It's like that phantom discomfort where your system is just purging the old, the old movements out of there. You know, it's, yeah. it's like firing up an air conditioner or a heater that hasn't been used in a while. There's dust and stuff in those, mm-hmm. in those pipes that need to get purged. And that takes some time to break down scar tissue and get things moving again and lubricate it correctly in there. It's correct. Yeah. And that's why, again, you just did the day to day. Uh, evaluation of where you're at is so important. And in my process, again, I'm only five runs in. After my second run, I was sore when I woke up the next morning in my foot and I was like, mother F. But I made a decision to take three days off and then try a third run and say, okay, if there's pain, I'm going to stop. And if there's not, then I understand that this is part of my recovery process, that this pain is part of using this area again. And sure enough, I got into my run and there was no pain. And so I I found that holding pattern for the time being. And you're just going to have to find it too. Coming back from injury can be sticky and messy and confusing and uncertain, but do it with like purpose intact and your brain in, instead of your brawn. And hopefully you get there. That's what I'm learning. Mm-hmm. And so the, the purpose, the point of all this is that it has to be purposeful and it has to be unrushed Yep. day by day until you're ready to train. And then you have to go through a cycle of preparing to train until you're really ready to train. Because yep. no one week or workout or cycle is worth all the other cycles for your year. Mm-hmm. We don't have this seven-figure contract waiting for us. And so what's our rush? What's our what's our real long-term goal? It's to be active as late into life as possible. And that means we get on top of it now. It's something that I've done incorrectly. You've done incorrectly. It's well-documented. And we're growing and evolving just like everyone else has to. Yeah. And it's not perfectly linear. I'm sure we'll have setbacks. I'm sure we'll keep relearning all of this as we go, but we only have the perspective we have off of the years of injury we've had. And that's what we're sharing with you guys. Um, as we wrap this thing up, folks, we would like to hear uh, what you got, you guys want to hear for Training Tuesdays coming up. Um, we've covered a lot of topics and feedback would be great as far as what really floats your boat. If you want us to retouch on some subjects or dive into other subject matters on our Training Tuesday this has really been like a listener guided podcast. We let questions come in, spawn ideas or interviews with guests, spawn training Tuesday ideas. And we're kind of at the point where we want some feedback as far as um, what we should dive into further. So let us know, shoot us those messages like you always do. I think that would be very helpful. And then we can dive into something that you're also interested in at this moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kirk and I have our own biases and we're following the topics that interest us. But we always get questions that make us realize, yeah, we're not always seeing it from the same perspective as anyone else. So send us the things you want to know more about that you want us to take a deep dive into, and we're going to do it. That's right. We will. Bracken, what else you got? I get to go lift. I, I, I'm I doing something I shouldn't do. Uh-oh. I, I missed an upper body lift yesterday, and I'd lower today. So I did my run in my lower body, and now I'm going to go do my upper body lift. You should do that. I mean, I, I generally tell athletes don't combine workouts, but that's a safe one to combine. Hundred percent. You're not putting any lower body stress extra on your system. You're good. So I'm gonna go get super muscular. Doubt it. <laughs>